All right, obviously I'm not Nathan. Nathan uh, had a baby a little bit ago, and so he is out taking care of his family, his wife and kids, and so uh, he should be back, Lord willing, he'll be back next week in the pulpit, and so we'll get back to our, our normal routine, um, which we, we do love having Nathan here. He's a blessing to us. So I'm filling in for him today, um, and as I, I promised two weeks ago, or I promised it three weeks ago, whatever the case, uh, that I would answer the question, um, what is COBC doing to reach the Tatchby community? We had an elder Q&A uh, Sunday night, and, uh, and I said, well, I'll, I'll, I'll preach on that on November 6th. And then Nathan's baby didn't come, so Nathan preached on November 6th, and then I got uh, moved to today. So here I am, and I will answer that question, as I promised. Uh, but before I get going on that question, uh, let's just pray. Would you pray with me? Lord God, thank you um, for this church, uh, for uh, their witness to the Tatchapee community. Um, Lord, I, I'm grateful to be a part of this community, part of this church. Uh, Lord, my, uh, my heart is heavy for a number of marriages that are suffering and struggling and under attack. Um, and uh, Lord, I've been fighting it all morning. Um, and Lord, I give it to you. Lord, I, we, we all have things this morning that we're bringing, things that are heavy on our hearts, uh, Lord, and we just offer them up to you, knowing that you are the, the just one, the good one, uh, who will take our, care of all of these things. And so uh, we ask that you would do that, that you would be gracious and kind in those marriages. And Lord, I pray that you would turn my heart towards the, uh, the sermon that you have for me to give. Lord, I pray that I would move out of the way and let your word speak clearly, um, that it would be challenging to us, that it would encourage us, that it would instruct us, Lord, that your word would guide us uh, into all truth. And so we pray for a blessing on our time together. Um, open our hearts to hear what you have to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Get this out of the way. Okay. Um, oh, that's going to fall. Okay, we're good. So this question, what is COBC doing to reach the Tatchby community? And this really, this question um, is broader than that, right? It, it was asked by one, one person, but we get this sort of question a lot. What are we doing about engaging in, in political action? What are we doing about the social things going on? What are we doing um, as outreach to the community? And, and so is this sort of answering this all-encompassing question? Um, and the short answer is that we are doing nothing and everything. Nothing in the sense that we don't have big outreach programs. There's no outreach team that's focused on, on reaching Tatchby community. On the other hand, we're doing everything, and that every week we are training and equipping people with the gospel to go out and do evangelism. So, nothing and everything. End of sermon. Thank you. No, no we want to look at what Scripture has to say about this and why we have this approach. Um, so to do that, we need to look at 1 Corinthians, but before we do that, we need to look at Acts. So stay in Acts chapter 18, and we want to look at verses 5 through 11. And this sets us up to go into Corinthians and understand what's going on. Paul had just been kicked out of, or laughed out of Athens, rather, and so he's moved on to, Cor to Corinth. And so here he has uh, in verse 5, When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. 
And he left there and went to the house of a man named uh, Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. So when we look at Acts, it can be difficult to discern whether it's prescriptive or descriptive. Is it simply just describing the, the, the unusual circumstances that happened during this time? Or is it prescribing something for us to always do? And this can be a real challenge as we look at Acts. Um, sometimes it's one, sometimes it's the other. So to discern that, what we want to do is go look at 1 Corinthians, where it picks up what Paul did, and he explains why he had the approach he had, and that gives us a clear prescription for how we also ought to approach evangelism. So turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and as you turn there, I want to give you my three points for this sermon. The first point is that evangelism is sharing the gospel. That might seem obvious, but point number one is going to be evangelism is sharing the gospel. Number two, gospel clarity is the guiding priority. Gospel clarity is the guiding priority for evangelism. Number three, we need a deep understanding of the gospel. Number three, we need a deep understanding of the gospel. So, we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. So Paul is approaching the Corinthian people, and he wants to pr- bring them the gospel. Uh, he's just been laughed out of Athens, and he comes to these people. Presumably they are similar to uh, the Athenians, very close uh, in proximity. So he comes to Corinth, and this is what he has to say about what he did when he got there. Verse 18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. We notice Paul's emphasis here. First Corinthians is the word of God and preaching it. His, his, his emphasis is not on action. His emphasis is on the power of God, which is the word, which is the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ preached. Now, when he says this word preached, he's not talking about what I'm doing right now, right? We, this is what we call preaching. This word preach means to proclaim, to announce, to tell someone, to sell, even to the fact, tell them boldly. He's saying, preach it. I came and I preached the gospel. 
Um, we struggle that uh, we want our actions to be sufficient. But Romans ten fourteen says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? The emphasis being on the articulation of the gospel from your mouth or the written words shared with someone. Hear the words of God on the gospel of how you can be saved. What that means then is that our actions are insufficient to save someone. Meaning, our actions are not evangelism. Unless you have shared the gospel, unless you have preached the gospel, you have not done evangelism. Maybe you did good, you lived a moral life, you were a good person, but unless you share the gospel, you're not doing evangelism. But you say to me, Daniel, doesn't the Bible say in John 13, 35, they will know we are Christ's by our love? Yes, and that's true, because it does say that. They will know we are Christ's by our love. But listen to what it does not say. It does not say that they will know Christ by our love. They will observe us and say, hey, you guys are really loving, you're really kind, you're loving to one another, that's really cool, you guys must be Christians. Cool. Does that help them know Christ? They can't know Christ by our actions. We have to open our mouths and share with them about Christ's love for them, what he did on the cross for them, his dying, atoning work on the cross. Otherwise, we're not any different than anybody else. They can't know Christ simply by our actions. It's only when we open our mouth and do evangelism that they can know Christ. Certainly our our actions give us opportunity for evangelism, but if we abstract that, if we take that away from God, and we just live a moral life, what are we really doing? There's a new club uh, here in Tatchby. It's been making its rounds. You've heard of the Satan Club, maybe. It's invaded a, an elementary school. And it isn't that they go and worship Satan. Matter of fact, uh, they don't even believe that Satan exists. It's an atheist club. There's no God. There's no Satan. There's no spiritual life. There is only immaterial. This is the Satan Club. And what are their values? Benevolence and empathy. Critical thinking and problem-solving compassion. Those match many of our values. We would say, hey, that's great. Do benevolence. Give to people. Be compassionate. Be understanding. Think critically. Those are things that we as Christians also want to do. What is the difference? They've abstracted it. They've pulled it, out of, pulled it away from God and said, let's just do that by itself. And as Christians, if that's what we do, we're no de- different than the Satan Club. Hey, we live a go- good moral life. And I do everything right, and I'm kind to people, and I, I give, and I share. But I don't ever say anything about God. I don't ever tell anybody why I do these things. So are you part of the Satan club? Are you a Christian? Like, what do you, what do, you do? Oh, don't worry about it. Moral atheists hate God. But their lives can look similar to ours. So what makes us different? It's when we open our mouths and actually share with them why we're this way. That's what makes us different. It's not because we're so generous or we're so kind. It's we say, hey, we are generous and kind because of God. 
if you are living a moral life without sharing the hope of Jesus Christ and giving him glory for what he's done in your life, you're doing nothing but glorifying yourself in the eyes of others. You're living a moral life without sharing the gospel. We're robbing God of his glory that he deserves, that he gets credit for why we live the way we live. We don't get credit for it. We're not super awesome. We're not super generous. We're not super kind in and of ourselves. We're horrible, wretched sinners. And God has done something in our lives to, do, to make us different. And unless we say why, he's, why we're different, we just glorify ourselves and rob God of his glory. And the enemy would love nothing more than for us to do that. Hey, go live a moral life. Be really nice to people. Be generous. Do whatever you want. That's great. Just don't tell them about God. Don't tell them about the gospel. Don't tell them about the Jesus, what Jesus Christ has done. Because there's no power in actions. The power is in the message of the gospel. That's where the power comes from. And if we don't share the gospel, we have not done anything with power. We've done everything in our own strength, and it does nothing. I'm not saying that you should be obnoxious and, you know, start beating people's door down and yelling at them with the gospel. That's not it. But when we share the gospel, it has power to save. Suppose you're standing on the side of a road and there's a cliff up ahead and people are driving and they're falling off the cliff and you're just living a good moral life by standing and waving and smiling at them. Hey, everyone, have a nice drive. I'll see you later. If they stop and pull over, I'll tell them, hey, there's going to be a cliff up the, up the way, by the way. Uh, I just want to let you know that. How many people are going to stop and, and ask the person why he's standing on the side of the road waving? Not many people. They're just going to drive right on by. They might even wave. Hey, nice to see you too. But that's what we do when we think we can live a moral life and expect someone to ask us why we live differently. The enemy would love for us, hey, don't share the gospel, just live a good life, and eventually somebody's going to ask you. Somebody will ask you why you're so different. And then when they ask, then you can share the gospel. And, and maybe you have that in your own heart. And you say, hey, that's worked for me. There's been people who have asked me. I'm, you know, what are you, I'm 35 years old now, and I've lived a, a different life than the rest of the world. And I can think of maybe two or three people in my life who have stopped and asked, hey, why are you different? And I share the gospel with them. How many people have I run into in my life and I can count, like, three who have asked me, who have pulled over and said, hey, why are you different? And everybody else just went, just went zooming by while I waved at them. So we can live a moral life, but unless we open our mouth and share why, they're just zooming right by on the way to hell. Because we're afraid to do evangelism. Um, and so we make up excuses like this, that if we, make a, if we just live a moral life, that will be sufficient to share the gospel, and we'll call that evangelism. We do other things, too. Um, like we, uh, we invite people to church and call that evangelism. I want to be clear. Inviting someone to church is not evangelism. Now, someone might do evangelism. Maybe the preacher will get up and share the gospel with your friend who you've invited to church, and that would be awesome. That'd be great. Um, but you haven't done evangelism. Your pastor did evangelism. Um, inviting an a unbeliever to church on Sunday is a good thing. 
right? They're going to come in, and they're going to taste and see that the Lord is good. To worship with believers and see this environment and see the love for one another, that is good. I'm not discrediting that. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. But I'm saying unless you actually share why with that person, you haven't done evangelism. And you're hoping that the pastor or somebody else is going to share the gospel with them. But that is your job as the friend who brought the person. It's your job to share the gospel with them. Hey, come and see what we do at churches. We have open doors. We're not afraid to share anything. We, we are not secret cult. We, hey, come on in. Observe what we're doing. It's awesome, and you should experience it if you, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ. Come experience what we're doing here. It's great. Um, but we want to call that evangelism because we want to be able to check off the box. Yeah, I brought them to church. I did my job. Somebody else has got to share the gospel with them. I, I got them in the building because it's scary out there. But it's not the job of the elder or the professional pastor to share the gospel with your friend. That's your job, to share the gospel with them. It's the job of the elders and the pastors to equip the saints to be able to share the gospel. We need to equip you with the gospel so that you are ready, you are armed, you are going out, and you are sharing the gospel, making disciples, and then bring the disciples back into the church. Sunday mornings are designed for believers. We, we share the gospel all the time because it's good for us as believers to know the gospel. To, it's refreshing to our soul to hear the gospel. As we've been beat up out in the world, we come back, we hear the gospel, and it's refreshing to us. It's good for us to share it. We also know that there are going to be times when there are unbelievers in here, and we want to share the gospel from the pulpit. We know that's going to happen. But our primary goal is to refresh and equip the saints who come in and get them ready to go back out. We haven't designed the service for unbelievers. We've designed it for the believers. So this is not an evangelism service. So we shy away from sharing the gospel for a couple of reasons, I think. The first reason I, I see, there's many reasons. Two to come to my mind is, one, it's dangerous out there. It's dangerous to share the gospel. Paul shared the gospel with the Athenians, and they laughed at him. They mocked him. They made fun of him. You know, you think about what he shared. He said, hey, uh, he was talking with them. It was all good. And then he said, yeah, by the way, Christ died on the cross, paid for your sins, and was raised from the dead. And they say, whoa, what? But you think about this message that he's giving. Hey, uh, this poor carpenter, homeless man, died and then rose from the dead. What a ridiculous notion. And so Paul preached this message, and he got mocked, got made fun of, got kicked out of the town, basically. And so it's dangerous out there. This may happen to us. We want to do evangelism, but we want to do it in the safe confines of our church. Because out there, we might get mocked and ridiculed. But if I can bring them into our territory, then I can share the gospel in a safe way, and it'll be okay. But I don't want to go out there and share the gospel where I'm the only one who believes it, and everybody else thinks I'm crazy. So let's, let's try and get them in here, and then the problem is, it takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot to get an unbeliever here. It doesn't take much to go out there and find them. So it's dangerous to do it. 
you might get ridiculed. Um, the other thing I think that is troubling for us is evangelism can't be completed. We like to check the box, right? If we get them to the church, we can check the box. Yes, I finished the job. I got them to church. I did what I was supposed to do. Now I'm done. The truth is, evangelism is not about checking the box and getting the result. The results are God's. He calls us to faithfulness. To time after time, as people are brought to us, we share the gospel. We're to be faithful with the job God has given us. And that's difficult for us because it's hard to measure. It's hard to say, hey, I've, I've done the evangelism. I'm good now. The job is always there. And as soon as somebody comes to Christ and you say, praise God, finally I've shared the gospel, this person believed, we turn around and then it's like, oh, there's a whole room left of unbelievers. I've got to keep sharing the gospel. The work is just immense. And I know that can be discouraging, but we have to remember the results are not our, our job. Faithfulness is our job. If I, if I were to I hope this doesn't happen. God, please don't ask me this question when I get to heaven. But if he were to ask me how I did um, sharing the gospel with the people that he brought in my way, whether it was in my office or my neighborhood, I I wouldn't want him to ask me that question. There's so many people that I just, I've just watched, waved as they drove right on by. I don't want that to be true of me going forward. I want to say, no, I, I got out there. I got in the road, and I tried to stop them, and I did everything that I could. I gave them every message. I pleaded with them. I shared the gospel with them. I did everything I could, Lord, and, and they just, they said no. Or some said yes. The results are God's, but we are to faithfully share. And we're to share by saying it. Okay, but but How? say, how? How? I want to share the gospel. Yes, I I will open my mouth. I will share, but how? Okay, uh, I want to give us the second principle here, that gospel clarity is the guiding principle. If you would look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, and read along with me. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Okay, so what is, this, what is he saying? The Corinthians, like the Athenians, valued... Uh, complex speech and logical arguments and philosophy and they read the best they read the best uh, philosophers and they best went and listened to the best orators and they heard this and they loved it they just it was their form of entertainment and what they liked to do Paul said I put all that aside and I just said Christ was crucified and you need to repent and believe Christ and him crucified and this crazy message which I mentioned that we have this poor homeless carpenter from nowhere who was tried and killed as a criminal is your savior? What an insane message. And it gets crazier because he rose from the dead. What an insane claim. By the world standards, this is a ridiculous message. 
and that this was the only thing that Paul wanted to say. That's it. Christ and him crucified. He didn't disguise it. He didn't pretty it up. He just tried to make that all the more prominent. Everything he did made that message more prominent. He didn't complicate it. He didn't try and give other distractions. He didn't try and, like, lure them in and entice them with something else and then switch, do the old bait and switch and give them the gospel. No, he just said, Christ and him crucified. No eloquent words, no impressive oration. He wasn't, he wasn't a man of power or influence. He was meek. He was lowly. But he had a message that was powerful, and he, he put that forefront. Just the gospel of Jesus Christ, him crucified. Now, our society doesn't care so much uh, about fancy oration and debates. Like, it's not something we're super into in, in American society. Um, we're more about entertainment, right? Uh, we love entertainment. We love luxury. Uh, we go out of our way for those sorts of things. We spend a lot of time and energy and money on those sorts of things. And so the American church has keyed in on that, and it's trying to take advantage of that, like trying to use that to their advantage. And so the American church has done this. Created big spectacles, free food, free services, free things, just get them in the doors, and then once we get them in the doors, then we'll sprinkle some gospel on it. We get them happy and grateful, and then if we can, we'll slip the gospel in behind it and hope that it sticks. That's what the American church has tried to start doing. But that wasn't Paul's approach, was it? He says, no, I preached Christ and him crucified. Forefront. And when that didn't work, he didn't try a different approach. He just preached Christ and him crucified again. And if it didn't work, he preached it again. Well, we need to try another angle. We need to do this to get him in. That we no, I got this message and that's it. There is power in that message. To those who are saved, it is powerful. To those who are lost, it is foolishness. But that's all I've got. If they understand it, praise God. And they believe it, praise God. If they understand it and reject it, praise God. But there's nothing else that's going to convince them. Christ and Him crucified. So here's the problem with these big outbreaks outreach events, they, they so, focus so much on the quality of the event that they forget the gospel, or the gospel becomes muddied or unclear or out of focus. When I was in college, uh, I went to a big church, probably two, three times this size. It's a pretty good-sized church, um, gospel-believing, gospel-teaching church. It was a good church in many respects, and they decided to have uh, what they called like a harvest festival type of thing. And so uh, we got all excited about it. Uh, I remember I made um, like a catapult thing that launched marshmallows into a bucket. And you, it was like a game for the kids. Launch the marshmallows and they get the prize and here's your candy and it's big fun. And everybody made his booths. I mean, we spent thousands of dollars, hundreds and hundreds of man hours putting this thing together. We invited the neighbors, come to this thing. We've got candy, we've got games, we've got free food. It's going to be awesome. You all need to come. The neighborhood all came out. There were thousands of people roaming around, doing the thing, tons of family games. Everybody had a great time. So then at the end, the pastor sneaks up to the outside stage, 
He comes over, and he's going to present the gospel. And I'm looking from my booth over, and I observe that there's probably 40 or 50 people kind of around the stage, which is good. And then I look closer, and I observe that they're primarily from the church, members from the church, with one or two friends or guests in there. And so we put a ton of effort into this outreach event, and people came and had a wonderful time. And the gospel was preached in 15 minutes, sort of a generic gospel message. And a few people might have heard it. But it took a lot of effort. So the question I had was, did these games and these food clarify the gospel? Did it pr- put the, cr- the gospel forward? Or did it muddy it? Did it, did it make it hard to see? Did it b- put it behind bushes and, and hide it to just bring it out at the last minute and surprise people with it? Or was it put as the prominent thing? This is what this is all about. Hey, we want to invite the neighborhood. You can come and learn how you can be saved, how you can be made right with God, how you have, there's a Savior who died for your sins and you can have eternal life in heaven. Come and see. By the way, we're going to have some food and some games. It's going to be a good time. But mostly, you're going to hear the gospel preached. Do you want to come? No, we didn't do that. We said, hey, games, food, free stuff. Come and see the entertainment. Oh, by the way, here's the gospel. Threw it in there real quick. Got it. Check the box. Good. Dead. Did evangelism. But Paul had a sense of urgency about the gospel. There was no time for all these distractions. He didn't time for all this stuff. He said, I just got Christ and him crucified. I'm going to give it to you. And if you take it, awesome. Praise God. And if you don't, your blood's not on my hands. So are big evangelism events bad? No, not necessarily. I look at the Samaritan's purse boxes and this is a big ordeal to send these boxes out. What are we doing? We are sending the gospel. I have met people who have received one of these boxes as a child, and that was their first introduction to the gospel. I'm thinking of this one woman in particular who received a Samaritan's box, uh, a Samaritan's purse box, heard the gospel. First time she'd ever heard it. She later came to faith in Christ, shared that with her sister, her sister came to faith. They moved to America. She married someone who eventually became a pastor. Her and her husband are preaching up in Wisconsin. It's a beautiful thing because the gospel was put first. So how do we know what's to do? How do we know if this event or that event is good or this ministry or that ministry is okay to do or what's the best? Is the gospel being made clear by what you're doing? Does the event point people to Jesus or does it point them to material pleasure? I like what that church did. They gave me free stuff. Okay? Free stuff on your way to hell. Hey, guys, see you later. Or you say, no, stop, 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 stop. I got a message for you. If it doesn't point people to the gospel, if it doesn't make the gospel more clear, get rid of it. Don't need it. If it does, awesome. Use it. Make it happen. It's not, it's, not a, it's not a clear and cut thing. It's a wisdom thing. How do we make the gospel more clear? Do it. The gospel doesn't need help to be more attractive. The gospel is amazing. It is saving to those who will believe. It can stand on its own two feet. We don't have to disguise it. We don't have to pretty it up. We don't have to try and do a bait and switch. Hey, come for this and get that. 
If someone comes because there's a fancy preacher who speaks really good, really well, then when that preacher, that man, fails, they're going to be gone. If they come for free things, guess what? Those free things start costing a lot of money, and they'll dry up. If they've come because of the entertainment, that entertainment's going to lose its novelty, and they'll be gone. But the gospel never changes. It never fades. It never loses its power. If they come for the gospel, they will stay for the gospel. When the foolishness of the gospel converts someone's heart, only God can get the glory. The gospel message has never and will never need the help of man to be effective. We need to get out of the way and present it with all of its power. Uh, went off my notes for service, and I guess I'll do it again. Uh, I was talking to a friend, believing friend of mine, and he's struggling with his faith. Do I, am I a believer? Am I not a believer? And, and I said, what, what about the Bible? I said, I believe the Bible's true. I believe the Bible's true. Why do you believe that? Well, it just makes sense. There's evidence that points to it. And it, it but yeah, but other people have that evidence. Why, why don't they believe it? Well, I mean, just read it. It's infallible. It doesn't contradict itself. It's, the words are true to life. You, you read this and you apply it to life and it works and it's just wonderful. I'm like, yeah, but there's other people who read the same thing and, and don't come to those same conclusions. Why do you believe and they don't? Well, I said, because of the power of God in your heart to confirm the truth through the Holy Spirit. As you read Scripture, you say, this is true. The Holy Spirit at work inside of you. And, and when God does that, only He can get the credit. Because by all standards of the world, the message of the gospel is ridiculous. And so if someone believes with their whole heart to the point of death that this is true, only God can get the credit. Not entertainment. By by the world standards, it makes sense that someone would come because they're getting free things. It would make sense that they would come because there's a good show that happens. It would become good. It makes sense for the world that, hey, that guy's a good preacher. I'd like to just hear him preach. Hey, that guy really is good. But when someone believes this crazy message about this carpenter in the middle of nowhere dying 2,000 years ago and rising from the dead, and someone says, I'm going to put everything I have in that message, only God can do that. And so he's glorified when that message is pushed forward. So what events do we do? What programs do we put in place? What ministries? How do we understand it? We want to tell people about Jesus. So let's look at these two plans, right? We have two plans. We have a, a big ministry event like the one I described in my college church, costing thousands of dollars, hundreds of man hours. We get a big crowd together for a couple hours. They have a good time. We slip a gospel message in there at the last minute, 15 minutes of gospel message, and hope that somebody hears it on the way out the door. Hey, by the way, Jesus loves you. Or the other strategy. We're going to send out 500 people every single day, 365 days a year, out into the world. We're going to give them the gospel message. They're going to go have personal relationships with people. They're going to interact with people. They're going to know people. And as they do that, they are going to boldly share the gospel with each one of those people. And we're going to send them from everywhere from L.A. all the way up to Washington. Occasionally, we're going to send them across the world. We're going to go send them everywhere in the world to share the gospel one-on-one, all the time, every day. Which one of those two plans is going to be more effective? 
It's the second plan, by the way. It's very effective. It's been working for 2,000 years. Then we come back together, send you out, you go share the gospel, you get beat up on the battlefield because it's dangerous out there, you get mocked, you get ridiculed, the world hurts you, and then you come back in here and your elders love on you and they care for you, they disciple you, they train you how to share the gospel even better, they, under, they, they teach you about the word of God, they heal your broken relationships, and then they send you back out Get back out there next week. Got to do it again. I'm tired. I know. Get back out there and do it again. I'll see you next week. I'll see you middle of the week. We got this ministry. You need more? You can't? Sunday's not enough? Okay, good. We got a Bible study midweek. That's not enough? Okay, good. We got this ministry. We got th- we're going to heal you up. We're going to disciple you. We're going to train you. We're going to equip you for everything you need, and we're going to get you back out on the field. We look at the evangelism passages that we know and love throughout Scripture. What do they say? Hey, uh, go, go out um, and bring people in and then we'll disciple, we'll, we'll evangelize them. Bring people in, we'll evangelize. No, they say, go. Go out, make disciples out there, and then bring them back in here. Once they have, you have disciples, you bring disciples back, we're going to train, we're going to equip them, we're going to heal them, and we're going to send them back out too. And they're going to make more disciples out there. They're going to bring them back in here for training, equipping, and, and healing. We're going to send them back out. That's the plan. Okay, yeah, but we want to share the gospel. We get it. Cleared away the clutter. We said, okay, if this isn't helping make the gospel more clear, I'm not going to do it. I know what to do. I'm a, okay, now, but, but how? How do I share the gospel? Point number three, understand the gospel. Um, I suspect that our reluctance to share uh, comes from a lack of understanding of the gospel. And maybe you have, like, a misunderstanding of, well, I don't know about, you know, is it creation versus, uh, you know, evolution and science versus, okay, forget all that for right now. Those those things can be, those questions are important and whatever. But Paul said, Christ and him crucified. We need to understand the gospel. It's like this. By by the way, turn to 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to get there in just a second. Well, you turn there. uh, I'll I'll give you this example. Suppose you uh, go to a retired auto mechanic who has been working on cars his entire life, and you ask the man, hey, how does an engine work? He's going to be able to explain it to you very simply, uh, very clearly, have a deep knowledge, and you could ask him any follow-up question you wanted, and he would explain to you how this thing interacts with that thing and these parts and whatever, and any question you ask him, he's going to feel confident. He's just going to boom, 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 boom. Here's how, you, here's how the engine, here's how a car works, here's how all this goes together, um, and he would just give it to you. And then if you ask that same mechanic to explain to you the biological functions of the human digestive tract. He would probably get a little uncomfortable, kind of squirm in his chair, try and change the subject. Okay, we talk about cars again. Say, no, I want to know about the human digestive tract. Grab an apple, take a bite. Take a bite. Uh, food goes in, stuff comes out, you stay alive. I don't know. That's, that's as much as I know about the human digestive tract. And this is sort of how we look at the gospel. That as a believer, we have a functional knowledge of the gospel. I ate the apple, I stay alive, stuff comes out. Piece of cake. The gospel. I believe in Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for my sins. That's about all I know about it. 
Ask me any follow-up questions, and I can't answer them for you. That's all I've got for you. But what did Paul, how was Paul's approach? If you look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 through 5, he says, For I delivered to you as of most, first and most, sorry, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. That's the gospel. Thirty seconds, boom. Somebody asks you, hey, what's the gospel? Read him this passage, boom. Gospel, done. Finished. There it is. That's, that is the gospel right there. Consolidated words. Just a few minutes, boom. Got the gospel. Someone's dying. They're like about to, to die. You got thirty seconds. I'm going to share the gospel with you. Okay, here it is. Boom. Gospel, okay? Now, suppose they're not dying. Suppose they're a friend of yours, a co-worker of yours, a schoolmate of yours, and they say, okay, yeah, but I have a follow-up question. And you go, ah, oh, I was hoping you wouldn't ask that. I barely got that out. Um, now you want to ask a question? You start sweating, and you're terrified. Please don't ask a question. Just say, I believe, and then we're good, and you're, you're like, got your fire insurance, and we can move on. Come to church with me now. Like, but Paul was not content. He said, here's the gospel. But look what he does. Look at verse 12. He says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? He asks a question of the gospel. And he's going to go on to explain it. And look at verse 29. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead were, are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? He asks another question. And he answers it. Look at verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? And he goes on, and then he answers it. You see, Paul was not content to just have a surface-level knowledge of the gospel, of saving. He wanted to understand at a fundamental level, like the mechanic, understands fundamentally. So you can ask him any question about the gospel, and he's going to be able to answer it, because he understands it, right? There's, there's really three types of understanding. There's the type where someone says, you know, like, let's talk about the gospel. Someone, I articulate the gospel. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. And you say, yeah, I believe that. I couldn't really tell you it, but now that I hear it, uh, that's what I believe. That's sort of the top level. And the second level is, like, you can actually articulate what it is, right? Like, sort of a, 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 a pat answer. Like, you could memorize these verses, or you could kind of memorize a few key points, and you could articulate the basics of it. That's like a, a, that level. You know, maybe you could even, maybe even barely teach it. Then there's a third level of understanding. And that's where you can debate it. Where you can, someone could say, well, you, you share the gospel, and then they say, yeah, but what about this? Well, what about this? And you can say, ah, good question. Let me answer it. And it isn't because you've memorized every possible question they could have, and then here's all the answers. It's because you fundamentally understand what's going on in the gospel. And you can share that. You can debate it. You can talk about it freely with someone. But if you don't have that understanding, all you've got is, hey, Jesus died from the cross for your sins. Do you believe it? No. Nope. Uh, okay, well, I've got to move on then because I've got nothing else for you. And that is good, right? Don't get me wrong. That is a good message. But Paul wasn't content to stay there. And as believers, we shouldn't be content to just be like, well, I, I got my fire insurance and that's all I need. People have real questions. And we have real answers from Scripture. Here it is. I want to test you a little bit this morning. I have a few questions that I want you to think about and not, try and see if you would know the answer to this question. 
These are questions that are maybe pushed past your Sunday school answers a little bit, um, that really challenge your understanding of the gospel. Why did Jesus have to die? Why was death necessary? What is sin, and why am I a sinner? Why does God hate sin so much? Why are the wages of sin death? Why do we still die after we're saved? Why do Christians sin if they have been, they have been saved? Why did Jesus have to be both man and God? Why was the resurrection necessary? How could a good God send people to hell? If God is in control of everything, how can he hold us responsible for our sin? These are the real kinds of questions that people have. And there are answers. We need to know them. Not these, the, I just read, this is a sample. But if you have a deep understanding of the gospel based on scripture, you can get, answer any question that someone has, any objection about the gospel. Hey, I don't know about physics and evolution. I don't know about that. I don't know about this philosopher or that philosopher. I don't know about any of that. I know about Christ and him crucified, and I can answer any question you have about that. I'd be happy to talk about that all day. You know, I'm just going to keep giving it to you. That's the only message that matters anyway. So, generally speaking, as a church, we meet for worship, for healing, for encouragement, for training. And we would rather spend our time coming together understanding the gospel better to equip you to go out better and share the gospel better. See, the events, the evangelism events, are happening all day, every day, out in the world. The world has already provided the event. We just got to show up and bring the gospel to the event. Whether it's school or work or friendships in your neighborhood, the events are already happening. We don't need to create any more. We just got to be bold enough to leave our little square here of earth and go over into the enemy camp and share the gospel. And yeah, you're going to get beat up. And yeah, it's going to be hard. And yeah, you got to have that awkward conversation of, hey, you want to hear about Jesus Christ and him crucified? No, I don't. Okay, thank you very much. Hey, you want to hear about Jesus Christ and him crucified? Yes, I do. Okay, can I tell you more? Oh, I was hoping you wouldn't say yes because I don't have anything else to say. We need to get trained and equipped on how to share the gospel. How do we get trained and equipped? When you look at Country Oaks, we don't have big evangelism events where we're going to say, we're going to all go out and share the gospel. Sometimes we do. That's cool. We can do that. Because it makes sense. It makes the gospel clear. But what we do every week is we have ministries that are discipleship-focused. Women's ministry, Awana, ABF, Sunday School, Heritage Oak School. These are all discipleship things where we are training people to know the gospel, to be able to take the gospel out. So join one of those ministries. Get equipped. Get trained. Join a growth group. I want to challenge all the growth group leaders. Do you, does your growth group know the gospel? If you ask somebody in your group, hey, share the gospel with me, could they do it? If you ask a follow-up question after they've shared the gospel, one of these hard questions that I, could your, your growth group answer those hard questions? Or are they going to squirm in their seat, try and change the subject, try to talk about something else? What is the gospel? We should be, as believers, we should be able to do that. Just roll right out the tongue. And those follow-up questions, be like, oh, I'm excited to answer. Let me talk to you about that. Paul had a deep understanding of the gospel, and he was just ready at any time to give a response. As a church, we want to be better equipping our saints to go out and share the gospel.
That's our evangelism program. The world provides the events. We provide the clear gospel. There's times where people come to the church, Christmas and Easter, unbelievers will fill the pews, and we will share the gospel because we know they're here. We're going we're gonna to adapt. This isn't a, you know, a clean cut, here's what you do. This time, it takes wisdom each and every time. There are going to be Sundays where, man, this is about the gospel. We are going to share. This is going to be an evangelism event this Sunday morning. That's rare. And it takes wisdom to know what's, what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. But these three guiding principles, are we actually able to share the gospel? Does the event or the thing that we're doing make the gospel more clear or less clear? Are we growing in our understanding of the gospel, or are we so busy with stuff that we don't have time to learn the gospel anymore? And all we can do is just memorize pat answers and hope that that's the question that's asked. Those are our guiding principles for understanding what ministries we do and what ministries we don't do. And and in your own heart, you consider, is there stuff in my life that I have clouded the gospel and and put as as a front to avoid having to share the actual gospel? And if I have, let me clear that stuff away and put that gospel right up front. At work, at school. I'm not saying you have to be obnoxious at work and be like, hey, I don't only want to talk about the gospel. Get creative. Hey, can we go out to lunch? What for? Hey, I got a message I want to share with you. Or here's how you, here, let me give you an example. This is, hey, you want to, here's how you don't do it. Hey, you want to go to lunch? Yeah, what for? Oh, I don't know, just, I want to be friends. It's going to be, uh, we're going to have a good time. I uh, just want to get to know you better. That, that then puts a barrier that you have to now break through that barrier to be able to share the gospel. Like, wait, I thought we were coming out to just be friends. What is this message that you're trying to share with me? But if you start with, hey, you want to go out to lunch? I'll pay. Uh, why for? I want to share a message with you. Then when you go out, here it is. And if they say, no, I don't have any interest in whatever message you want to give me. Great, I just saved myself uh, 20 bucks on lunch. <laughs> just kidding. Let me pray before I get myself into trouble. (laughs) Lord God, thank you for um, everyone who's come this morning. Lord, we do pray for anyone who is um, not saved in our lives, maybe in the seats this morning, listening online, whatever it may be, Lord, that if there are those who are unrepentant, who have not put their faith in Jesus Christ, I pray that you would convict their heart this morning. Lord, for for those of us who have uh, put our faith in Christ, who have gone wholesale for the gospel, that that's what our lives are about, that you would make that what our lives are about, that we would make the gospel preeminent in our life, that we would put it in the forefront, that we wouldn't muddy it or clear it, uh, make it difficult to see. God, I ask that you would be with us this week, that as we have opportunities which you will give to us, that we would see them and take those opportunities to share and participate in the work that you are doing. What an amazing thing, Lord, that we can participate in the work that you've provided. Uh, the the saving work that you're doing. Thank you for letting us participate. Lord, I pray that you would give us all opportunities to share the gospel and that we would take that opportunity and be bold, that that we would get trained and equipped to share the gospel well. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.